The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Fighter versus the Rider. I'm Damon Martin. He is Matt Brown, UFC welterweight and legend in his own right. Matt, what's going on? Man, everything's going on, bro. Some good <laughs> fights coming up. Uh, <laughs> um, some pretty decent fights last weekend, actually. You know, for uh, um, you know, not a lot of famous fights, but I thought they're pretty good, man. Yeah, when you start the podcast with a sigh, I always wonder what's wrong. I'm like, oh, here we go. What happened? What's going on? No, <laughs> like, I, oh, man. no I had to think for a second. Like, God, man, what is going on, man? <laughs> like, yeah, your guy, so much uh, going on all the time. Your guy last uh, your last weekend, your guy Neil Magny went out there, got a big win. Uh, former training partner and a uh, guy you know yeah. very well broke the broke the record for the all time wins in the welterweight division, which you're in that list as well in the top five. Uh, I said it the other day. I was like, dude. I don't know how well you know Neil. Like, I just know him through, you know, interviews and stuff. But, like, Neil is, like, Neil's one of those dudes, like, it's hard not to root for Neil Magny. Like, he is such an incredibly nice guy. And, like, you know, will he ever be champion? I, I have a hard time believing that. I don't ever discount anybody. But the fact that he's, you know, 20 wins in the UFC is a huge accomplishment. Like, he kind of downplayed it. But, dude, that's a huge deal. Yeah, like what a nice guy he is, man. Just one of the most giving people you'll ever meet and one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Uh, deserves everything he's got, man. Like he's one of the hardest workers you'll ever meet and just puts in the time, you know, just gets in there and does the job, man. And he's going to cause everybody problems. Uh, Daniel Cormier said it perfect. Like you want to get to the elite, you got to get through Neil Magny. Absolutely. I told this story uh, off air over the weekend. I'll tell it real quick here. What defined Neil Magny for me was years ago he was fighting. I want to say it was on what I think it was the fight for the troops card he was fighting on, but I can't remember which one it was. But anyways, we were supposed to do an interview. 
I was at the event. We were supposed to do an interview and he didn't show up. I was in like the lobby waiting for him. He didn't show up. And I was like, ah, you know, no big deal. It happens. Like, you know, no, no worries. And I get a call like an hour later from his manager saying, Neil, uh, we got caught up in something. He feels so bad. Uh, could he do the interview now? And it was like nine o'clock at night and it was the night before weigh in. So he's weight cutting. And I'm like, Ooh. Oh dude, it's totally okay. Like it's totally fine. He's like, no, no, he want And like, he came down like from his room, met me in the <laughs> lobby, apologized profusely. Like, I'm so sorry, man. I'm so sorry. And I was like, dude, like, I didn't expect you to come down. Like I totally understood. But like, that's the kind of guy Neil Magny is like, he went yes. out of his way, weight cutting just to come down. We did the interview, but I was like, dude, you really don't have to do this. Like, it's totally cool. Like, I appreciate you apologizing, but like, dude, walk, you know, go do your weight cut. He's like, no, no, bro. I promised. I promised. And like, I was just like, that's the kind of dude Neil Magny is like, he just, he went out of his way to literally come downstairs in the hotel, apologize first off, which he didn't need to, uh, and, and, you know, still do the interview when he, again, didn't need to in weight cutting mode. And I'm like, this, that's the kind of guy Neil Magny is. Absolutely, man. hundred percent. And that's a perfect story description. Neil Magny, man, I say he deserves everything he's got. And I hope that he gets for a championship someday, man. That's the kind of guy I'd like to see have all the success in the world. And he's the type of guy that would come out of nowhere and end up winning a title. You know, that you just wouldn't expect, like he has so much, such, he has such gifts that um, are just unexpected. You know, I train with him a lot and um, you know, his length, obviously um, his cardio, he's way stronger than he looks. And um, yeah, you know, he, he's going to give anybody a hard time, anybody. Yeah. Before we get to fights, of course, this weekend, UFC 281, that's where we're going to spend the majority of our time talking about today. Uh, fight that I think you are incredibly excited for, which is Israel Adesanya against Alex Pahea in the main event. Before we get there, though, uh, we always talk a little bit about music, Matt. Did you go to the con? You weren't at the concert last Friday, were you? The 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 Trinity of Territory? You weren't there, were you? Uh, well, I wasn't at any concert. The, 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 the shirt I'm wearing, Einstein Kills, Motionless in White, Black Veil Brides, uh, no, 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 Matt Brown. I was like, where, where are you at here? Come on, it's a metal show. No, nah, man, I, I had my kids last weekend, so um, we were doing our thing. And um, yeah, you know, like I, I go when I can and then don't go other times, you know? You so, know, do you <laughs> I'm know? I'm you know, working on uh, making my own uh, few songs right now, so. Nice. That could be pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know we're talking about doing Machine Head later this month, right? Like that—that's coming oh, up on the. Well. Yeah, that's coming up in November. You and I are gonna. That's. I feel like we got a video blog that one. You and I had a Machine Head show, but you know what I realized? I've been to a thousand concerts, and I've been to a lot of sold out shows, and I've been to a. I've been in the pit for a Slayer show. I've been like you know whatever. The show, the I think it was at uh, in Columbus, we're in Columbus, Ohio. It's at Kimba Live, used to be Express Live, so you know where I'm talking about. Indoor yep. venue, pretty big. You know, it's not huge. It's not an arena, but it's a pretty big venue. Sold out, right, for this concert. Concert was sold out. I got in a little late because I, I missed the opening band, which is a Treyu. I got there a little bit late, right before Motionless and White played. And I realized one thing in that moment when I got into that venue and it was sold out and I'm in the back of the room. I'm like, you know what I realized? I'm starting to get too old to be around this many people for a concert because back in the day, Not dude, I would have fought my, I would have fought my way to the front. I would have jumped right in the middle of the pit. I would have slam danced <laughs> and head banged with every lunatic in that crowd. Dude, I don't have the tolerance for it anymore. Like people were touching me yeah. and rubbing up against me. And I was like, dude, don't touch me. Don't rub up against me. Like I was like, I'm getting too old to be at sold out shows. I can't believe you're just not getting there. <laughs> 
Well, no, I, I haven't been to like I haven't been to like a truly sold out show in a while. Like this was sold out, sold out, like packed to the brim. Yeah, right. Like people standing against the back, like where the merch tables were. Like that's how packed it was. Like I feel like they oversold this venue. I haven't been to a show that packed in a while and i was just like oh like i was just like i i don't have tolerance for being around people this much like people kept rubbing on me someone spilled their drink on someone next to me it came real close to me i was like this is a good way for me to punch someone at a concert you spill your beer on me <laughs> like i was just like I'm, I'm like i feel like i'm finally too old to be in a sold out show yes yeah, i realized that about uh, 10 years ago <laughs> like <laughs> You know, like first time I think I got backstage and watched the show backstage or the first time I sat in a suite or, you know, you just get spoiled real quick. You're like, dude, what the fuck are those people doing down there? Dude, you remember and, uh, uh, yeah. You remember a few years ago we went here in Columbus, you and I went did backstage for a five-figure death punch. And we were up mm -hmm. on the mezzanine backstage for that. And it was like really cool experience. We're kind of like looking down at them as they're performing range. yeah and there's like the crowds out there going insane i'm like i realized that that was also a moment when i realized like i can't be in that crowd like i could not be in that insane like i went to i saw yeah. avenge sevenfold the night before and i was up in the stands which wasn't crazy you know what i mean i was up out of the yeah. out of the general admission but like you're right like when i was a uh, dude that's so privileged though we're like backstage hanging out on like the deck watching them we're like yeah we can't we can't be down among the common people anymore well, the funny part is when we were younger, you probably had the same experience as me where you'd look up, you know, we'd be down in the mosh pit or whatever. You'd look up and you see the old people sitting in the stands. Oh, I'm fucking old pussies. <laughs> and now we're the old pussies. Look at them. Like I'm dumb young guys. I don't know how they do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh without a doubt, without a doubt. So uh, UFC 281 this weekend, a lot of good fights on this card. Before we talk about any of the breakdown stuff, any of the fight stuff, because I know we're, we're going to talk a lot about, Adesanya and Perea, because I know you are a big kickboxing guy and you've watched those fights and we've talked about them off the air as much as we're doing on the air. But I want to ask real quick, Matt, as we talk about this card coming up, Frankie Edgar has announced this is his last fight, his retirement fight. I had him on the podcast a few weeks ago. Um, I know we toss around the word legend a lot in this sport, probably more than we should, uh, because it kind of it kind of diminishes the word a little bit when you use the word legend so often, but I would argue Frankie Edgar is the epitome of a legend. I mean, this guy won a lightweight title in a division. He had no business being in. I mean, let's be honest. Like he's never been a lightweight. Yeah. Like you see, you see him now standing next to like Dominic Cruz and he's still a little bit shorter. And then you think about like Makachev and Oliveira and some of the guys who are fighting lightweight. Now, Frankie was the champion of that division champion. there, top contender, title contender at 145. top contender, top 10 guy at 135. Now he's calling it a career. And I, I, yeah, I'm pretty sure you've shared a car with Frankie before in the past, haven't you? Um, I'm sure that I have. Um, I don't remember particularly though, but I know Frankie. I knew him um, from way back in the day. Uh, not close or anything, but um, I've always known who he is. And um, I, I was at Ricardo Mage's gym before, and he was there. So, but long, long time ago. Yeah, Frankie, dude. Frankie's one of those people, man. Like. When this, like, when when we write, you know, stories about the sport or we talk about people in the sport, like, there's, I don't know that there, are, there will ever be another Frankie Edgar. Like, he's kind of like Neil Magny, like, just an incredibly nice, good dude, did everything the right way, never took any shortcuts, fought everybody. I mean, you know, fought anybody and everybody in every weight class, never turned down fights. I mean, he has a win over Charles Oliveira. I mean, he's, you know, yeah. I mean, when you look, I mean, the dude, like, 
I can't say enough good things about Frankie Edgar. Like the dude is just a legend. Like when we talk about that old school mentality of the fighter, like you of course embody that Matt, like yourself, like Frankie's one of those guys. We talk about like the guys who just embody that like old school, badass fighter. Frankie Edgar's mm-hmm. one of those dudes. Yeah. I'm right there with you, man. So much respect for that guy. Like you said, just undersized and uh, still found a way, man. And I mean, his fights with gray Maynard, like, Jesus, like, whoa, whoa, how about some wars right there? Right? Like, you know, you thought that that was going to take that. You know, I probably took 10 years off his life, you know, and, but he oh, had yeah. a lot of those wars, man. And, uh, yeah, so much respect for him. It sucks, man. You know, we're, we're all getting older and the game's moving on. So, but we got a whole new group of legends coming in and all of the old guys going out. Yeah. It's like, and weirdly, like, because we talk about retirement in the sport, and like, I have a weird like relationship with retirement because, like, when Yoana and Jacek announced her retirement, like, I was legitimately kind of bummed because I know Yoana very well. I talked to Yoana, you know, both on and off the air. I love her to death. Like, she's one of the sweetest, nicest, kindest people I've ever met, and she's such an awesome fighter to watch perform. And seeing yeah, her dude. lose and then retire, it's kind of bummed because I'm like, oh man, like, yeah, it sucks. You lost. But like, you know, I still think she's one of the best in the world. And I have no doubt that she could go out there and become yeah. champion again. The flip side of that though is, is I'm glad she's going on her terms because you and I both know we've seen the horror stories in the sport of people who don't know when to call it quits. You know, we're talking about guys, you know, going on five, six knockouts in a row, coming back when they shouldn't be coming back, you know, doing it for the wrong reasons. Maybe they're doing it for money or they just don't know any other way. But, like, in a weird way, like, Frankie's going out on his own terms. Like, he's choosing this to be his retirement fight. Like, he's choosing this moment to say goodbye, win, lose, or draw. He wants this final moment, and he's choosing it. Because, again, I always use this phrase a lot. And I'm not, maybe it was you may have been the one that said it the first time when I heard it. You want to you retire from the sport. You don't want the sport to retire you. Absolutely. I definitely said that before. And um, you, we all want to retire from the sport, but um, – yeah, the only sad thing is, it's like, it's not really, we all use the word retirement. We're not really retiring, though. We're just switching jobs, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. That's the only thing that kind of sucks, you know? Like, like none of us are, like, really retiring. Maybe, like, Connor or something, but um, that's kind of, like, the only downside, you know? We're just moving on to something else. And that I think that's what makes it so difficult. And the reason I brought that up is you're talking about, you know, a lot of the guys that stick around too long. Um, like you know, come out five, six fight uh, losses or knockouts in a row or something like that, and they're not moving on to something else, and um, and that's exactly it. Like you know, they're not retiring; like they're moving on to something else. And for us to get to this level of the UFC, you know, top ten guys, you know, you can't have a a, a backup plan. You can't have a plan B. You can't work on. Uh, you know, you got to be firing on all eight cylinders, man. You take, you know, a little bit of your time and energy and put it towards something else. Uh, you're not going to get to that top 10. So it, it just it makes it a very difficult thing. You know, I'm kind of uh, at that age where, you know, these kind of things come through my mind a lot. So um, I can relate. And I, and I think that's that's what brings it up to uh, the reason I bring it up. Yeah, no, absolutely. And like I said, it's it's weird because I like I said, even I have like a weird relationship when you know, just you know, moving on to something else, you know, like um in terms of, you know, fight like I know you told me many, many times, like you said, when you when you finally do stop fighting, like you're one hundred percent confident you're gonna be a better coach than you ever were a fighter. Like you're gonna be able to move into coaching more full time 
and not put the focus necessarily in your career. And I'm happy when guys go off and do other things. Like I said, like, you know, when you look at, you know, Michael Bisping going out and now he's, you know, he just started in, uh, did filming for Red Sonia, a new movie that was filming over in Bulgaria. He's doing the commentary yeah. thing. He's got his own podcast. Like, I root for guys to find that kind of success. But then I think about a guy who I, like, I'd go as far as say I adore because he was so close to my mentor, Ryan Bennett, is is Chuck Liddell. Legend. I mean, yeah. that, again, that's a guy who's legitimately a legend, Hall of Famer. But it kind of broke my heart. Like, when he came back and fought Tito that last time, like, that wasn't Chuck Liddell. That was not the Chuck Liddell you and I remember, the Iceman, just, yeah. just the assassin. But it kind of breaks your heart because it is. It's tough for people to walk away from what they know. And there's a million reasons. Yes, we can all say it's money or we can say, you know, but, like, you know, I know some guys, like, even Daniel Cormier has told me, like, it's hard to give up that feeling of like walking out to the cage and the energy and the, the emotion that goes into like a, the competition. You just, you can, you can play a thousand different games. You can play monopoly with your kids. You can play chess. You can, you can play pick up basketball on the court, whatever. It's still not the same as going out there and fighting. You know what I mean? So it's not, yeah. so there's a lot of different reasons people do it. And there are those occasions where it, it kind of breaks my heart. Like when I see Chuck Liddell go out there, I'm like, Oh my God, this breaks my heart. And then I think about a guy like Frankie, like, I'm going to miss Frankie Edgar performing because Frankie Edgar is that dude. Like he is that dude. Mm -hmm. You know, he's going to show up. You know, he's going to be on weight. You know, he's going to put on a fun fight, win, lose or draw. But at the same time, I'm glad he's going on on his terms. Like I'm glad he's saying, you know what? Enough's enough. I'm going to move on to something else. And and one thing he told me, and I appreciate it. He's like, I know if I don't do this now, like I, he said, I, I know I could keep going. I could string together some more wins. There's guys I'm absolutely confident I can beat. But at some point I have to move on and I'm just choosing now is that time. Like for my kids, for my family, like I'm just choosing now is that time. And I respect the hell out of that because, yeah. you know, we've seen that, you know, a lot of guys who just kind of fade off into the sunset, they lose several in a row and you're kind of, man, I really don't want to see that guy go through that anymore. I'm glad Frankie's going on his own terms. Yeah. And I think the other part too, that uh, we don't really talk about a lot. I think I was mentioning this a little bit last week was about, you know how this really becomes our identity what we what we do and we all try not to do that but when you spend your entire life 24 hours a day training uh you're doing something to get ready for a fight and you know it really becomes your identity you know like when people um you're sitting down at dinner and um you know you got to get a salad while they're all eating steak and burgers and stuff <laughs> and you know, when, when they're like, Hey, let's go out on Saturday night. Like, oh, I got to go train or whatever. Um, you know, that becomes very, very much your identity. Um, so for us, it's almost like, you know, being in the military and then you come back to civilian life and it's like, that's a difficult thing, man, because we're moving into an entire different world that for one is not nearly as enjoyable, right? We don't get to walk out in front of millions of people and go to war in a cage. Uh, but it's also just a, a completely different mindset all day. And, um, you know, the reason I can say is like, cause I did retire once and, um, you know, I may or may not even now. So, you know, I'm at that point. And so I know what that's like. And you're just like, you're like, this kind of sucks, man. <laughs> like, <sighs> like life kind of sucks really when you're not fighting, you know, yeah. at least for, you know, people like me and I'm sure like Frankie Edgar too, where we're like, like, dude, nothing like you said we we could go skydiving and or do those flying suits and all this shit that's not going to be nearly as exciting as going out in front of a million people and going to war under the lights 
Yeah. And you, you kind of, you, and by association, you kind of surround yourself with those people. Like, you know, anyone that you, anyone that's in kind of your inner circle is either, you know, generally a fighter, a coach, uh, people that know fighting, you know, like I'm not a fighter, but I know fighting. Like I've been covering the sport for 20 years. I know fighting. You kind of surround yourself with that people because they don't understand. Otherwise, like I'll never understand what it's like to step in there. I don't, I don't know that feeling, but I've talked to enough fighters to understand why you love you like why you love doing what you do like and that's why i never question it that's why i'm i'm, I'm yeah. one of those people like i don't typically call for fighter I, I remember one time where i truly called for a fighter to retire and it was ken shamrock he was coming back and i was like dude i just don't want to see ken go yeah. through it anymore like he had, had some really rough runs and i'm like i just i, I really it breaks my heart don't want to see him go through it anymore but generally i don't call for retirements for that reason because i know how much this means to you i know what the, like this sport yeah. means to you and how much like you love getting in there and like a guy like joe lozon who i have just so much respect for and i've had him on the podcast co-host with me many times like i've kind of had this conversation with him where he's kind of like i don't know that i'll ever retire he's like I'll, i may just stop fighting you know, I may just like, you know, move on to other things and just, you, you just won't hear from me getting called for fights anymore. But he's like, I don't know that I'll ever use the word retire because technically I'm not retired. I'm still, you know, doing what I love. I'm in the gym every day. I'm training guys, but you know, I just may not fight anymore. And I was like, I respect that. Like, you know, like it is a weird yeah. word to say retirement. Like I appreciate a guy like Frankie going out on his own terms, but at the same time, I respect Joe being like, you know what? I'm just not going to fight anymore. I'm not retired. I'm just not going to fight anymore. Like, yeah. It's a weird, I know it's well, a weird, like it's the, the same. Other- you know, like, yeah, you know, that's the other part of the whole thing is, is we, of course, we love getting in the octagon and performing and fighting. Um, you know, some people hate it too, right? But some, you know, fighters actually hate that. Uh, but what we love equally, if not more, is the lifestyle that we live. Like, like every day we get up and go to the gym, sweat with, bleed with our dudes, and, you know, we hang out like, that's the best part of this whole thing, man. It's just that experience, the bonds you make, like, you know, sitting on the mats after a hard session, all sweaty and bloody with your buddies is like, you know, what the greatest thing on this planet, you know? And that lifestyle is what is harder to give up than anything else. Like it's so much funner to do more fun to do that than it is to go to business meetings or go golfing with your <laughs> you know, a business buddy. So, you know what I mean? Like you are, very, you know, so as I said, the lifestyle is what's harder to give up, I think. And, yeah. and Joe, for instance, like owning his own gym and which is part of why I own my own gym, you know, this is uh, we don't have to quite give up the lifestyle quite as much. Yeah. And you are fighters at this level, the UFC, like you are the 1% of the 1%. Like there's only so many people who get to do this and do it at this mm-hmm. level. Like when I talked about the all time wins in welterweight, like you're in the top five, like there's only so many people that in the history of the world who can do what you do. And so when you're in that kind of super specialized industry at that level, um, you know, we could talk about with other pro sports. Like there's a reason why we, you know, football players go until, you know, you know, they just have nothing left. It's, it's not just about money and it's just not about fame, things like that. They love doing it. Like they love doing what they mm-hmm. do. And that's the, you, I, that's your identity. That's who you are. Um, yeah, it's tough, man. It is. It is. Like I said, when, and when fighters come back, like, and they're like, I retired and I come back a year later, like I get it. I don't always agree with it, but I get it. Like, I understand what the feeling is. Like I understand the emotion and the, it's just hard to let that go. Like, you know, I'm not, I'm not in anywhere, shape or form in the same boat as you. But if somebody told, came to me today and said, Hey, you can still watch the sport, but you can't write about it anymore. You can't cover it. You can't, you know, actually be a journalist doing it. 
I, it would suck. Like I love the sport, but I love covering the sport. I love talking to fighters. I love having these kind of conversations. If somebody said you can't do that anymore, you can watch, but you can't do that. You can't talk to fighters. You can't interview them. You can't get the insight from them. I would be like, I don't know if I could be around the sport anymore because like, that's just such a part of who I am. Like I love doing what I do. I love talking to fight. I love talking to you. I love talking to Frankie and Joe. And you know, like it would be weird to just be a fan just to sit and do, yeah. cause I've done it. So same thing here. Like I get it. Like I again, I'm not comparing myself in any way, shape or form to fighters, but I'm saying like, I get the mentality. Like it would be weird. And I'm sure it will be like on that day. Like when you're just there as a fan, when you're just there and there's no more, waiting for Sean Shelby to call you and say, you know, you ready to fight? You ready to do it? You know, like it's, I'm sure it's like a, a bizarre thing, you know? Yes. Yes. Like I said, I mean, I, I retired for uh, about a year, so I understand what it feels like. And it's a, yeah. it's a very awkward experience for us. That's a hundred percent true. So let's talk about UFC 281. Uh, I know we're going to spend a lot of time talking about the main event, uh, but let me, let me start real quick because we do have an incredible lightweight fight on the card. Dustin Poirier, taking on Michael Chandler. I feel like we're going to see two Tasmanian devils just collide in the middle of the ring, in the middle of the cage, and just go after it. Um, Poirier, of course, hasn't fought since he lost to Charles Oliveira. Michael Chandler coming off that insane front kick knockout over Tony Ferguson. Um, I don't know that there's a lot of breaking down to do in this fight because I feel like these two guys are just going to meet in the middle and throw until one of them falls over. Um, Because, like... In terms of game planning, like, I think, well, Chandler has great wrestling. You know, he does. He's a legitimate, like, you know, he's a legitimate guy. And, you know, Poirier has incredible boxing. He's a black belt Brazilian jiu-jitsu. But it's kind of like, you know, Poirier and, and, and when uh, when Gaethje and Chandler got together, or Gaethje and Poirier, like, I feel like they're just going to go in and collide like a like a, like a uh, a a demolition derby until one of them just can't go anymore. That's very possible. And that's what's so exciting about this fight. And that's why they made it, right? I think I think uh, that's very possible. Um, the only part that I would kind of break down a little bit though is, uh, you know, uh, Poirier's a southpaw for one. Um, I'm not sure if we've seen Chandler against southpaws. Um, you know, Tony switches a lot. Um, Gage wasn't southpaw, but I don't remember the last time seeing him against a true southpaw, uh, which can change things a lot. And I think if uh, I think Poirier actually has the skill to not make this as much of a brawl as people expect it to be. I think he has the ability to do that. I'm not sure if he mentally will do that, right? Because, you know, he's a he's a dog and he's going to get in there and he's going to want to throw down the first time he gets hit. He might just throw everything out the window and just start swinging for the fences. Um, but, you know, I lean pretty heavily towards uh, Dustin in this fight for that reason i think he has a uh, the skill to do it of course chandler you know he's a dog in himself too so um but i think poirier has the ability to make this fight um a less of a dog fight than it needs to be it's funny you say that i'm actually talking to his head coach later tonight mike brown and one of the things that mike and i have talked about many times with dustin is going away from that, like, let's just throw down, bite down on our mouthpieces and swing until one of us can't swing anymore. Mm -hmm. He's gotten Dustin away from that. And Dustin's talked about that as well. Like, I had to get out of that mentality where I would just go in there and get hit and want to hit back. You know, he's gotten away from that. And I think that helps him in a fight like this because Chandler, yeah. Chandler's going to come after him and he's going to try to draw him into that kind of fight. Dustin, like... Dustin could still win that fight. He could absolutely still win that crazy battle, just, you know, throwing, you know, crazy punches until one of them falls over. 
But he gives himself a much better chance to win by not doing that. You know what I mean? By going yeah. out there, doing what he did against Connor, picking his shots, setting up his combinations, pinpoint accuracy, long rangey punches, don't get drawn into the war. And I'm with you. Like on paper, I think Dustin Poirier should win this fight. Like I think he is, I think he is an incredibly good boxer. Chandler rarely uses his wrestling. So, I mean, I think it you know, bodes well for Poirier. He's not got to worry too much about that part of it. And I think on the stand-up tip, like I think I think Poirier is the more technical striker. But, exactly. But just like with just like with Gaethje, like Gaethje beat Chandler. He did. He won that fight. But Chandler was in there, man. Chandler hurt him a couple of times. Chandler, you know, he stuck mm-hmm. around to the very end. And that always worries me because Chandler just needs one. You know what I mean? Like I think he, like, mm-hmm. I'm not saying I'm not saying Dustin Poirier doesn't have one punch and knockout power. He does. But Chandler's one of those dudes, he just needs one. He needs you to make one slip, one mistake, one wrong move, and he will knock you into the middle of next week. That worries me yeah, because it's very hard to get out of there, right? So he's you know, he's always gonna be in there and always uh, you know, he's like a gaugey. Uh, that's why that fight was so great, right? Because those guys, both of them could be completely wobbled and um on their back foot and um almost knocked out and then swing a big punch and change the whole the whole momentum of the fight you know bam like that so that's certainly what makes it exciting and yeah. you know i i think uh, i'm i'm going with poirier in this one and i think he's gonna make it look uh a lot easier than these other guys have with chandler yeah my my gut tells me poirier but my heart says never count out a guy like michael chandler and and especially and here's Definitely one thing not. i here's one thing i will say Poirier, even I think Poirier is technically much better than he used to be in terms of not getting into those dog fights. The one thing I will say though, yeah. Poirier still does get hit. He does still get hit. Mm-hmm. He's not like this defensive wizard. You know, he got hit a couple times by by Connor in that in that in the first fight. Now the second fight was a pretty dominant, or I should say, third fight. The third fight where Connor broke his leg, not Dustin was pretty dominant until the leg break. Uh, the set, the first, yep. the second fight, he did get clipped a couple times. Then he obviously overcame that and and beat Connor convincingly, knocked him out. But he still gets hit a little bit, and that worries me because Chandler Chandler just need again, he just needs one glancing blow to crack you, hurt you, and finish you. You know, and that yeah, worries me a little bit. For sure. You yeah. know? But the what you know, the other thing we, we don't talk about enough about Dustin Poirier, too. I still feel like even after all these years, like how long how many UFC fights he got? Probably fifteen oh, or twenty at this point. More than uh, that, probably at this point, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, maybe more than that. And I feel like we have seen him improve in almost every single fight. Like, yeah. I don't – even now, like, I feel like even his last three or four fights, I feel like we see little improvements. Like, this guy is putting in the work like no one else. Chandler, I don't see that same. I see him still fighting sort of uh, the same strategy, same techniques that he was using even in Bellator. Um, I don't see him improving technically. He's going to be in shape. We know this. He's going to crack. We know this. But technically, I see Poirier taking levels up constantly. I don't see that with Chandler. Yeah. The only, and I will say this. The one thing that I – and I don't think this is going to affect Dustin because I just don't see Dustin being this dude. But, like, you wonder, has the motivation changed at all? Because he now had his second title fight. You know, he lost. He lost to Isla, or he lost to Khabib. That's a good no point. shame there. He lost to he lost to Charles though. This is his first fight back. Like, did, did he? Not that he's lost a step. I don't think that at all. But is the motivation change? You know, like, is he still like? Is he still fighting? Because yeah. when he when he lost to Charles, 
And he did the interview with Ariel right after, and he talked about, like, you know, maybe going to welterweight, maybe I'm done at lightweight, you know, maybe I'll do this, maybe I'll do that. And you start wondering, like, is the, not the fire's not there, but, like, is the motivation still there if maybe the title isn't the goal right now? Not to say he can't get back there. Islam's champion now. He hasn't fought Islam. That would still be a big fight. Dustin's still one of the biggest names in the division. I always wonder, like, you know, when you've had a couple cracks in the title, do you start losing a little bit of the motivation for why you're doing this? You know what I mean? Because he's been that, he's yeah, been so yeah, close. A lot of that motivation comes from clarity, right? So, you know, we'll see if he kind of put his head together and has a clear vision for what he wants, right? Like yeah. you said, after um, his last loss with uh, Charles, he's he's thinking all these different things. Go to welterweight, right? Um you know, he's probably thinking, you know, is it, do I want to try for this title again? So, so the question is going to be, did he develop this clarity, you know, throughout this camp? And does he have a clear vision for what he's after here? Um, and, and I think that's where the motivation will come from. If he, if he doesn't have a clear vision, you know, Chandler's a tough uh, guy to have in front of you without a lot of clarity. Right. And uh, maybe you're calling it motivation. I'm calling it clarity. I think the two go uh, very hand in hand. Yeah, so I'm with you. I think Chan I think on paper Poria should win. I think he's more technical. I think he's got the better overall boxing. I think he's not gonna get drawn into the just the war dogfight kind of fight. And on that on that tip, I think he wins. But and I know I'm listening, I know I'm hedging my bets here, Matt. I know I am. But do not do not be surprised whatsoever if Chandler goes in there, lands one big right hand, and it's over. Like that dude has that kind of stopping power. For and sure. I know I know Michael really, really well. I know how motivated he gets. I know how much like a chip on the shoulder is the wrong way to say it, but like I know how much he wants to prove. Like all those years in Bellator, and he was the best guy in Bellator, everyone said, Well, yeah, but you're not in the UFC. You know, you're not beating UFC guys, yeah. you know, you're not doing that. And I know deep down that still eats at him a little bit because I do believe Michael Chandler was always one of the best guys in the world, regardless of promotion. Like the idea that you the, the, is the UFC, the biggest and are the best generally in the UFC. Yes. We all know that. Not everybody though. There's still got a couple of guys like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. you don't, you, you know, like, you know, guys like Daniel Cormier, they didn't, they didn't just come into UFC. Like they were good in strike force. Like UFC is yeah. the biggest and the best. We know that, but not everybody's there. So I've always thought Chandler was that good, but, I know it's bugged him. I know it bugs him that people say, well, you were great in Bellator, but you know, a little asterisk, that little but at the end of the sentence. So um, don't be shocked if Chandler pulls this one out, but I'm with you. I think on paper, Poirier is the more technical fighter. He's the better boxer. And as long as he doesn't think, get drawn into that war, you know? Yep. Yep. And I, I mean, I think that's a very great point that you bring up there. Like, you know, the mental side of this, the motivation, the chip on the shoulder, the clarity, things like that, that goes a huge long way in a big, you know, uh, fight like this where it's a game of centimeters. And uh, sometimes those centimeters are made up mentally. So I think that's a great, great point. Absolutely. Um, I don't know that we're going to spend a ton of time talking about the co-main event. You know, Carla Sparza defending her title against Zhang Wei Li. Uh, I feel like the entire world is picking Zhang Wei Li to win this fight, like as mm -hmm. if Carla Sparza is just going to roll over and play dead. Um, now, let me be clear. Zhang Weili is really good. She's a monster. I came to your gym and we did a video breakdown where you broke down how Zhang set up and finished Yuani and Jacek with that incredible spinning back fist knockout. Um, she has two losses to Rose Namajunas. No shame there. Rose is incredible. You know Rose very well. Uh, outside of that, she knocked out Jessica Andrade. She's beaten Yuani twice. She's a monster. We all know how good Zhang Weili is. 
but it still bugs me. And listen, maybe she'll go out there and just steamroll Carla. I don't know. Maybe she will. But it always bugs me when, like, you get a fighter like Carla, who's been around as long as she has, been a top fighter for 10 years or whatever it's been, two-time champion, beat Rose Namajunas. Now, was it the most exciting fight in the world? Absolutely not. But did she win? Yes. Um, but it always bugs me when people are just like, it's a fo- nothing is a foregone conclusion in this sport, Matt. You know that better than anybody. Like, yeah, there's Nothing is guaranteed. Like, I know everyone is so high on Zhang. It's going to be a knockout. It's going to be this, you know, steamroll kind of fight. Maybe it will be, but to just, to, just to discount Carla completely is a little bit ridiculous to me. I, I, I feel you on that. Uh, I mean, I think it really comes down to pretty simple. This one, it's a grappler versus striker matchup, right? If Carla is able to take her down and you know, hold her or dominate in any way, then, you know, then your theory stands up. If she's not able to, uh, I think, it, you know, which is where most people are probably at. Like they're thinking Zhang's going to be able to stop the takedown. And I think you would probably agree that if she is able to stop the takedown and create some distance, it's probably going to be a very long night for Carla or, or a very short night, but either yeah. way, a bad night. I think it comes down to how the first round goes. If Zhang comes out there and just initiates her dominance right away and Carla can't get the takedowns, you can't stay out of range. She gets trapped against the cage, those kind of things. Then I think Zhang's going to finish it, you know, within the first two rounds, but if it gets deeper late second round, early third round, Carla's got a couple takedowns in her. She's grinded her against the cage a little bit. She's put her down, starting to wear on her a little bit. That's where I think Carla takes over. This fight goes longer than two rounds. I'm not saying that Zhang can't pull it off. She went five rounds with Joanna, but that was all striking. Now, I'm not saying striking is less tiring than grappling, but I'm just saying it's a different fight on your feet for five rounds versus sitting on the bottom, getting taken down, grinding on you. That's just a different kind of endurance. You know that. Absolutely. And that's, that's, yeah, you're saying, I think, the same thing, right? Like, it's more or less a grappler versus striker matchup. We know what Carla is going to do, right? Zhang knows what she's going to uh, try to do. She's going to try to come in, take her down, and either beat her up on the ground or at least you know wear her out on the ground to get a finish later. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I mean, it's just really this is one of those you know th- these matchups happen pretty regularly, right? Like there's a guy that knows he has to get a takedown. There's a guy that knows that. Um, they need to keep it on the feet. And then, and that a lot of times is the determining factor on who wins and loses. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so listen, will I be shocked if Zhang Weili wins and knocks her out in the first two minutes? No, I won't be shocked by that. Um, will I be shocked if Zhang wins by knockout in the second round? No, I will not be shocked by that. I will not be shocked if everyone in the world is right that Zhang Weili is just a better fighter, a stronger fighter, and she's going to become champion again. I'm not going to be shocked by any of that. But I like I like the underdog. I like people who have been around and proven it over and over and over and over again, and Carla has done that. And I do like the wrestling. I think the idea that, you know, because we saw Rose take Zhang down in their rematch a couple of times, a few times. Mm-hmm. That was a big part of that fight. Carla is a better wrestler than Rose Namajunas. So if she can avoid those early haymakers and, and, and the early idea that Zhang is just going to simply overwhelm her, she can avoid that. Get a couple takedowns, put her on her back. I'm picking Carla Sparza to win this fight. I I like yeah, the wrestling. You're taking Carla. I'm taking what's Carla. The, what's the Listen, line on it? 
Uh, she's like a three to one underdog. I think I think wow. Zhang is like minus three thirty or something like that. It's pretty 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 wide in her favor. And like I said, I know I'm hedging my bets again here. I'm saying like I will not be shocked if Zhang goes out there and does exactly what everyone's saying she's gonna do. But I just I don't know. I just I refuse to look past this kind of a matchup where one fighter has a tremendous wrestling base. And all she needs is a couple of those to really, you know, start to break down and, and tire out Zhang. Again, I like the underdog. I like it. I'm going with I'm going with Carla. I might be completely wrong come Monday, but or come Sunday, but I'm going with Carla. I don't think that's a bad bet, but I'll take the bet if you want. <laughs> we already have so many bets. You still got to pay off your bets, Matt Brown. Come on now. We still have, we got it, bets yeah. going back a couple of years now. All right, double or nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going double or nothing on this one. I definitely don't have the confidence to go double or nothing on this one. I promise you that. I think I already owe you a bunch of money, dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not def- I may go double or nothing on another one, but I am not going double or nothing on this. My confidence is not that high. All right, then we'll go double or nothing on the main event because I know who you got, right? <laughs> we'll find out in a second. Are you going with Zhang? Are you going with Zhang? I'm going with Zhang big time. Yeah, I'd. But, you know, I'm going to be like you, and I'm, I'm going to hedge, too. I mean, if, if Carla's able to get those takedowns, I just don't think she'll be able to do it for five rounds on Zhang. I do think Zhang will, will find her spots, and even if Carla's able to get those takedowns early, and I think Zhang will be able to um, – hits too hard on the feet and has too many tricks on the feet. And um, Carla just doesn't – I've never seen her be really uh, like she relies on the takedown. You know, she relies on being able to take you down and grind you out. Um, and so many of those fundamentals are lost on the feet. And I think Zhang is, is just so tricky on the feet and does so many awkward things. And um, obviously, like hits really hard. So um, I think she's going to give her too many problems on the feet. And uh, I think she'll be able to stop her takedowns at least enough to be able to beat her up on the feet. Yeah, I won't be shocked if that's what happens whatsoever. Like I said, that's the popular pick. And like I said, I think people are not wrong, you know. Yeah. Um, All right, let's talk about the big one, the main event. Israel Adesanya defending his title against Alex Pejea, the guy who beat him twice in kickboxing, beat him by decision once, knocked him out in the second one. It's a viral moment. We all know it. It's an incredible knockout, probably one of the worst knockouts we saw in glory kickboxing at that point. It was a nasty, nasty knockout. Um, you, you, again, this is kind of, I always like to defer to you beyond being a fighter, but also because you are a fan of kickboxing and Muay Thai and you watch a lot you were very aware of that fight probably before I was like, I knew who these guys were, but I wasn't like a hardcore glory fan watching these guys fight when they fought the first and second time. Um, let's start there. You know, these guys better than I do, especially in the kickboxing realm. You saw their kickboxing fights and again, you saw them before it was popular to see these fights. You knew them. You knew who these guys were before it was popular to know who Israel Adesanya was. Um, what can you, what can you, like, what can you say about the, again, we know kickboxing is not MMA. We know this isn't, we understand. We all, I'm not, again, pretending it's the same fight. But what, what did you, what did you learn watching those two fights between these two guys? So even though, yeah, this isn't a kickboxing fight. It's not kickboxing rules, but these guys are two kickboxers that kickbox in MMA. So this is going to be a kickboxing fighter. Don't see anybody shooting for any takedowns. Um, I don't really see these guys clinching up a lot. Um, and neither of their fights did they clinch up a lot. Like these guys are two guys that have uh, long, rangy styles. Um, Alex Pereira has the X factor. He has that left hook. 
which is the X factor that he hurts so many people with and just a, a, a one of the most powerful left hooks in kickboxing we've ever seen, I think. Um, but if you watch both of those fights, Israel was doing – a lot of people gave him the first fight. You know, it was sort of a controversial decision. He was winning most of the second fight. And then Alex, with the the X factor, came out and caught uh, Israel. So, you know, I think Israel has learned from his mistakes. I think he's, uh, you know, if there is anything beyond kickboxing involved in this fight, you know, any takedowns, any clinch work, any MMA stuff, I give Israel the advantage. He's been doing it way longer. Um, he's been uh, training in May for a lot longer. Um, so I lean very heavily towards Israel in this fight. Um, and Alex just has that X factor, but I think, uh, I think Izzy's probably learned his lessons. He's learned from his mistakes. They know each other very well. They know each other's styles. They know what they're going to do. Uh, but between those two things, Israel, I do think is the better kickboxer and any, extra uh curricular activities that go on beyond just it being a kickboxing match i think izzy's gonna have the advantage so so i'm gonna go with izzy in this one i'm gonna disagree i'm gonna disagree and, and a couple of reasons why um for one i don't disagree with you that i think israel has made improvements since this, the second fight was five years ago it's been a long time right like they, they but mm. here's what i would say Israel's taken a lot of criticism lately for being a little too conservative in fights that he's won. Oh, yeah. You know, like you look at the Marvin Vittori rematch, it was a, you know, 40, 50, 45, 49, 46, whatever the thing was, pretty, pretty wide margin for a win. But when you watch the fight, you think to yourself, Israel is a lot better. He should have done more. Like you expect more out of a guy who's that much better than his opponents. Now, Robert Whitaker is legitimately the second best middleweight in the sport right now, and there's no shame in going five hard rounds with him. But there were moments where you felt like Izzy was leading and then didn't really follow up in the way he should have. And he's taking criticism for that. And I think mm -hmm. in, a, in, in, a, in a little bit, it's rightfully so, because you know we held, we held Anderson Silva to an impossibly high standard when he was champion, right? And... and, mm -hmm. and Anderson's greatness allowed us to do when Anderson didn't have the kind of performance we expected out of him. It's not that he wasn't great. It's just, we know how great he can be. Mm -hmm. Israel's got a lot of that going right now. And I think that, listen, he's talked about it over and over. It doesn't bother him. Doesn't whatever, you know, he doesn't care what people think, blah, 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 you know, all that. And then he talks about this fight is a little more personal because Alex has, you know, two wins over him. He has the mm -hmm. knockout, the viral moment. My concern for Israel is that he is going to fight a little bit outside of himself a little bit in this fight. He's going to get a little more aggressive. You know, is he going to take a few more chances? Because you're right. If you watch that second fight, the knockout fight, he had Alex hurt earlier in the fight. He had it wobbled badly. And because it's kickboxing, you get a, a standing 10 count. You don't get to follow up and the guy's down on his knees. You don't get to follow up and keep punching him like you do in MMA. Right. So it's not like people, and Israel brings this up a lot, and he's right. Like, have you watched the fight? Do you know what happened beyond the knockout? Most people are like, no, I just watched the knockout. No, if you watched the fight, Israel had him hurt badly earlier. And mm -hmm. then, as you said, the X Factor, Alex came back, hammer of a left hand, knocked him out. My worry is, 
is that Israel's going to fight a little outside of himself because he has something to prove in this time. You know what I mean? Like fighting Whitaker a second time after knocking him out in like two minutes the last time or five minutes, whatever it was, takes a little bit out. Beat Marvin Vittori, comes back. Does he? Is it? Is it really as exciting to go out there and beat Marvin Vittori a second time? You know, five rounds. You know, just not not a lot there. There's a lot riding on this. This is a guy who has two legitimate wins over him and a knockout forever over him. And that worries me that Israel might fight outside of himself a little bit. And this, like, this is one of those times where I would say Israel needs to fight kind of like the boring, like go out there and just do what you need to do to win fight. He doesn't need to take chances. He doesn't need to take too many risks because Alex is an incredible kickboxer with unbelievable power. And you play around with that and he will make you pay. And I think when you take away the other aspect, when you take away the, even the kickboxing, like, I don't, listen, I don't think Israel Adesanya is just a kickboxer anymore. He's a mixed martial artist. But that being said, mm-hmm. him stopping takedowns and him thwarting grappling attempts from other fighters doesn't mean he's out there throwing up Darce chokes and Anaconda chokes and, you know, throwing up, you know, flying triangles. I don't know that Israel's weapons and other aspects of his game are so good that he can go out there and just choose to just out grapple Alex. Like I don't, I'm not saying he can't, I'm saying I don't see him doing that. I feel like this is going to be a striking fight between two elite kickboxers. And I think Alex, in my opinion, is still the better kickboxer. I think he has better overall skills on the feet. And I think Israel's going to take chances because he wants to prove something. He wants to prove I'm better than Alex now. I am a better fighter. And that to me is going to open up opportunities for Alex to land that bomb, to land that flying knee, to land that big kick. I'm picking Alex Perheyer to win this fight and I'm winning him to pick. I'm I'm picking him to win it by knockout. Oh, wow. All um, right. <laughs> I like all this sounds like I don't like Israel Adesanya. I like him very much. I think he's an incredible fighter. I interviewed him many times and you know, really like intriguing dude. But I feel like there's just a weird, there's just a weird air about this fight to me. You know what I mean? Like, like in all, let's be honest, Matt. In any other division, Alex probably wouldn't be getting a title shot right now. He's like three fights into his UFC career. Now he did right. knock out Strickland, which is a good win. Strickland's a good fight. But like in any other, in other, in any other division, he'd have to go through like Whitaker and Vittori and you know those kind of guys to get a title shot. He didn't. He kind of skipped the line because he has that rivalry with Adesanya. Yep. And I just, I, Adesanya said it today. This is personal to him. He has taken it personally. Mm-hmm. I think that's a problem. I think Israel has had a mental advantage over every single opponent he's fought with the exception of, in my opinion, one guy, and that was Jan Blahovich. And that's the fight yeah. he lost. I don't think he had a mental advantage over Jan because Jan's like, I'm bigger, I'm stronger, I'm heavier. You know, mm-hmm. I know I could beat the smaller guy. That's what happened. That's little, that's pretty much how that fight played out. He took him down. He, you know, kind of showed that, you know, Israel is not quite a light heavyweight. Every I other time believing that he had a mental advantage over uh, Whitaker also. I think he did in the first fight. I think he did in the first fight. Whitaker was, I think Whitaker, because you watch Whitaker, Whitaker out there and was throwing wild punches and, you know, coming after him with these crazy combinations, not because Whitaker is a very reserved guy. He went out there guns blazing the first fight against Israel and, <laughs> yeah. and, he, and he paid for it. Um, I think Israel's had a mental, just a, just a mental intimidation to him over almost yeah, everyone he's fought. Times, maybe not even necessarily before the fight, but like during the fight, because he's so slick and he's so, uh, you know, he, he, almost like Anderson back in the day, you know, where, 
you just feel like an idiot. Like you're throwing these punches, they're not hitting, you're getting hit. And you just kind of start questioning yourself during the fight. Like I've sparred with Izzy before. And like, you know, you definitely feel that, you know, you're like, you're like this guy, you're like, why am I not hitting him? And how is he hitting me? Yeah. So, but, that, so... Too, but uh, you know, that, which is to me is sort of the, uh, the biggest part of this fight is, like Alex is as big and as long as Izzy, which is, I, I'm not sure other than maybe Jan that he's fought anybody like that, you know, that has the link. Obviously, like Alex is a, a, a extremely good kickboxer, um, which in most instances, I'd say, I would say, look, you know, Izzy's never fought somebody with the length and all that, but he has fought Alex twice. Yeah. So, and he knows these guys know each other. They know what they're going to do. They have their game plans, and that's why I don't think that uh, the chip on the show or the the mentally it's going to affect Izzy. Like he knows what he's getting into. I think he knows, um, you know, how big this is and how important it is for him to stay mentally strong and and mentally um, even killed. And I think he's going to be able to do that. And I don't think he's going to let it get to him. Yeah. And I'm on the other side. I think that this is like one time where he doesn't have, you know, he is so, he is so good at mentally breaking his opponents before they get in the cage. I think he did it to Paulo Costa. I think he did it to Marvin Vittori. I think he's done it to a lot mm -hmm. of guys who are really good, but then they start dealing with Izzy and Izzy just, I mean, he just clowns them a little bit. You know what I mean? He yeah, just, yeah. and it's uh, dude, it's, it's brilliant to watch him work, but I don't think he can do that to Alex because Alex has the ultimate trump card. I knocked you out cold. You know, right. like what what are you gonna tell me? Like you accomplished more in MMA? Great, you did. But what happened the last time we fought each other? Who was on, who was laid out on the floor with medics yeah, coming in wanting to put you on a stretcher? You know, yeah. like yeah, it's it's like it's like I said, like you can say all you want, but the last time we met, you're the one who left on the stretcher. You're the one who left the ring, you know, you couldn't get up, blah, blah, blah. Um I, just, see, I, I would say, if anything, I think it may make Izzy fight even safer. He might be he even, even more so uh, that guy that everybody has been hating to watch, uh, which, I, again, I personally don't hate watching the way that he fights, but, um, you know, a lot of people don't like that boring stuff. He may revert even farther into that safe fight, which is my biggest fear, more, more so for Izzy, rather than him taking chances, him being too safe, and not taking the big chance uh, that he might need to take yeah. to uh, to get a victory here. I think I think playing it safe or playing it reserved is smart in certain aspects. Like, don't do it so much that you just take away everything you do well. But I think he's got to be careful because, again, if you're not careful with Alex, he's going to knock you in the middle of next week. Like I said, all it took was Sean Strickland making one mistake, and he got clipped, and boom, fight <laughs> yeah. over. Um that I just I don't know. There's just something. I, there's just it's a weird feeling I have. It's just like this is this is such an even fight and on paper. I probably should go with Israel Adesanya. He's the more accomplished overall, better mixed martial artist. But there's just something about this rivalry that just tells me that Alex is just going to catch him at some point. He's gonna he's gonna see Israel coming, or Israel's gonna get a little too aggressive, or he's maybe Israel's gonna be winning. And he's going to be like, you know what? I'm just going to serve this dude. And he's going to get clipped and caught. I don't know. There's just, some, there's just something about this fight 
where I'm like, I think Alex is going to get it done. Now, does that mean Alex is going to go on and have the legacy in the career that Israel's done? I don't know that that's true. I don't know that he could, you know, you could say that, you know, he could go out there and fight a, a wrestler as dominant as a guy like Derek Brunson. Maybe he didn't beat a Brunson because Brunson may just take him down and beat on him. That's something oh, yeah. he couldn't do to Israel. Israel broke Derek Brunson before their fight. Maybe he can't do that to Derek Brunson. But there's just something about this fight. I feel like he's got he's got a little bit over. I, I just when you hear about it so much, when you see that highlight so many times, and everyone is saying this guy knocked you in the middle of next week when you fought the last time, it worries me a little bit about how Israel's mentality is going to be. He's again, he, this is the first time since the Yan fight that he's just not mentally better than his opponent because he doesn't. He can't say he has one up on Alex. He just can't. He can't say that. Um, that worries me. So, yeah, I'm going to Alex Pereira to pull off the upset. Uh, I do like your breakdown, and you almost convinced me there talking about Israel there, but I'm going against it. I'm going with, I'm, I'm sticking with my gut. I'm going with Alex Pereira to pull off the upset, and uh, and I haven't seen the lines. I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure it's close. I know Israel's the favorite, uh, but I don't think it's close. like a huge – I don't think it's like a huge – like, you know, he's like a minus 400 favorite and crazy like that. Um, we got a couple yeah, different picks, though. I'm going Carla. I'm going Alex. I'm going with a couple of underdogs. Yeah, I think I'm I'm going uh, with all the favorites on this one. So yeah, eh, not I a mean, bad way to go. Yeah, it's 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 a tough one, man. You know, th- this is really the one of those fights uh, with Prayer and Izzy. I think you know, I think five ten times they might go five and five, right? Like they might. It's they who might. shows up that night. Who had the better night's sleep? Who is more mentally prepared? Who put in uh, the extra mile? Who who you know put in the extra reps like? Like it's that close. Like these guys are the two best. They're two of the best kickboxers in the world, and um, you know now they're going in with these little four ounce gloves. You know and that's a game changer too. You know, um, and again, I just think that Izzy is particularly with his MMA experience. Um, he knows how to fight five five minute rounds. He knows uh, MMA better. I think he knows what he needs to do in this fight to win. Um, he knows Alex Pereira so well. Um, yeah, so I gotta go with Izzy on this one. So you're, you're, and, and you said it. You're confident. This isn't one where you're like kind of hedging your best. You're confident in Izzy winning. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely. I'm very confident. Um, which usually, you know, means that he loses because <laughs> like, like if you if you look at any of my like past posts where I pick fights, like I'm wrong at least ninety percent of the time. So, <laughs> I, I tell everybody. I think I just tweeted it the other day. I was like, "Hey, here's my picks. Uh, make sure you pick against me so that you win, and <laughs> and you're going to get rich." And and literally every pick was wrong, <laughs> and, and everybody's <laughs> tweeting back like, "Like, yeah, bro, we definitely should have listened to you and bet I- against you." But I don't disagree with you this time. Like I said, on paper, I probably should be picking Adesanya, but there's just something about this fight. I don't know what it is. I can't really explain it, but I'm going with uh, I'm going with uh, I'm going with Pereira. I think he's going to get it done. And also, by the way, I want to mention also, I do love that he trains with Glover Teixeira. I love that mentality. Yeah, that sure. uh, that you know, mentor. I think the other that, thing, when you talk about mentally too, is like you know, only three fights into the UFC, like Pereira is still a young fucking hungry fighter, like for the UFC. So he's still going to have extra nerves coming into his first big, you know, uh, pay-per-view main event. Um, you know, his nerves are going to be strong. Whereas Izzy may be a little too comfortable in there. That would be a, another thing that they could come into a, a play here. 
he may be a little comfortable. He's got uh, how many title defenses now? I mean, you know, he's up there with some of the greatest and yeah. uh, you know, certainly one of the greatest uh, middleweights of all time. You know, everybody has their day, man. And, and you know, I think it really challenges you mentally to be able to hold on to that title. And, and you know, everybody's pumping you up now. Everybody's uh, on your nuts all the time um, versus the, the guy – you know, trying to climb the stairs. Like you're already at the top of the stairs. The guy trying to climb the stairs sometimes puts in that extra work. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And you know, like you said, you know, uh, you know, in, in a lot of ways, this is the last mountain Israel has to climb. If we're being honest, like there's really not much else he needs to do at middleweight. Like Alex is kind of the last man standing because he's beaten Whitaker twice. He's beaten Vittori twice. He beat Jared Cannonier. Um, he's beating Derek Brunson. Like when you look at the UFC middleweight division, like there's just not a lot of people left for him to fight after Alex. So if Israel wins this one, you know, the next, like the next best prospect is probably a guy in Bo Nichols two and O who I, you know, I think Bo Nichols, one of the best prospects we've ever seen in the sport. I'm very, very high <laughs> Bo Nickel, but we all know Bo Nickel ain't going to get a title shot anytime soon. So, um, this is kind of the last mountain Israel has to climb in all honesty. Like there's just not a lot else, not much else out there for him. Yeah, yeah, I agree. There's, I'm trying to think of who else is even out there for Izzy to fight. I mean, yeah, you know, maybe he tries to move back up again after this fight. Yeah, I mean, him and I think like, it's weird to say this, but I think like Yuri Prohoshka is a more winnable fight for Israel Adesanya than Jan Blahovich. Like, I would think that is a much more winnable fight. Like, I think Glover is a tougher fight for Israel. Because yeah. when you look at the grappling and, you know, just uh, the, the grappling and the wrestling and Israel, you know, Glover's not going to go out there and just throw hands with, with Israel for five rounds. Like, Israel... I, I, I got to say, with, Yuri's a fun fight, period. Oh, yeah. Yuri, Yuri versus Adesanya, like, that's a really fun fight. These guys with crazy styles, crazy techniques all the time. Yeah, this would be a, a, a dream matchup. That would be fun. But I would, like I said, I would... I would lean Israel because how technically good he is and how, you know, he doesn't typically go out of himself to fight like that where Yuri just does, you know, crazy insanity. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's a winnable fight for him. I don't know that Glover or Jan is a more winnable fight or even a, or even an Ankaliyev. Like Ankaliyev is so big and strong and powerful and just a yeah. massive light heavyweight. Like those are all tougher matchups for Israel. I'm not saying I'm not saying Yuri can't beat him. He absolutely can, but I'm saying like that's a that's a fight where I think it's a little more even. Yeah, yeah, it'd be very interesting to see him try to move up again. You know, if he can get his wrestling a little better, his defense, you know, maybe because I mean that was really what Jan did, right? Just oversized, bullied him, took him down, and um, was able to continue to do that for the whole five rounds. So. You know, Izzy's going to have to if he wants to move up. I mean, he's just got to get his wrestling better and may put on some size. Maybe he just need to put on a little bit more size too and, and muscle and take his time to move up a little bit. You know what he needs? He needs that hammer house uh dummy. He needs a hammer house punching bag. He needs a little Mark yeah. Coleman little Mark Coleman special with the hammer house punching bag. Hey, we'd love to have Izzy out here, bro. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well that is our breakdown. Of course we'll be back to react to all this next week. We'll find out who has a little bit of uh, a little bit of bragging rights between you and I uh, since we did pick different in a couple of these fights, so we'll find out who has bragging rights when we do the show next week. But before uh, the show well, I'm ends, I'm trying to catch up with my bragging rights because you're way ahead of me at this point. <laughs> See, I didn't bring it up though. I didn't bring that up, Matt. I didn't bring. I I'll, admit it. I'll admit I'm, it. I'm, I'm I, humble. I and, I'm humble in victory. Is what it is. I'm man, humble I, in victory. I, I may not be so humble in victory, but I, 
I'll post. Uh, I post. Like I said I posted on Twitter. Like I'm like, here's my picks. Pick against me if you want to get ready. <laughs> well, we'll be back next week to break all that down. But before we get out of here today, uh, first things first. I did talk about it earlier. Uh, Carlos Bars, of course, she is defending her title against Zhang Wei Li in the co-main event on Saturday. I had a conversation with Carla before she left for uh, for New York uh, for the fight. So here is my conversation with the UFC strawweight champion, Carlos Barza. Matt and I will be back next week to find out which one of us has bragging rights over the other with this entire event. It goes down on Saturday. Check it out on pay-per-view and of course, follow along on MMAfighting.com. But right now, here is my conversation with the champ. The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And new customers to DraftKings can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Carla Sparza. She is the UFC strawweight champion of the world, and she returns to defend her title at UFC 281 in Madison Square Garden in November. I am always happy to speak to Carla Sparza. Carla, how are you? Hey, I am doing great. How is uh, how is everything? Obviously, at this point now, fights literally just a couple weeks away, so uh, I assume you know training camp is going well. First title defense back as champ. Madison Square Garden, huge card. Uh, you've been here before. This is nothing new necessarily, but I, I imagine there's always a little a little bit of excitement. Yeah, I'm super excited. Training camp has been going really well. I'm very happy with it. Uh, no major injuries or anything, so that's always a great thing. Knock on wood. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, training camp, camp has been awesome. I'm excited uh, to fight at Madison Square Garden, you know since uh it was just recently like legalized a couple of years ago so definitely uh a, a bucket list place for my career for sure yeah absolutely now when we spoke after your win uh, and you got the title you had told me you know you're i think you said november december was the timeline you were looking at and you weren't going to rush back you were going to make sure to give your you know, your body time to heal make sure you had you know plenty of time to get ready were you okay with the date november 11th was this was this a good date for you in terms of being back and ready and healthy yeah, most definitely. Um, you know, you're always as a fighter going to worry, like, is this enough time? Is this enough time? But, you know, having going in, uh, going in and starting the camp and then kind of just, 
you know, picking up momentum. I, I definitely feel like it was enough. Um, it was kind of right on that cusp. I wanted to fight either November or December. So it actually worked out really nicely. So I can enjoy the holidays. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Now, let you know, we talked after the title fight win. You know, we knew what a what an awesome moment that was for your career. One thing I didn't realize when we spoke the last time, and I know you've probably heard this, you know, a million times since then, 2,612. The number of days between title reigns, longest in UFC history. And I, I know we speak often, Carla, and, and we talk a lot about your longevity and, and the, the legacy you put together being one of the best fighters in your division for this long. And because we, we, we see so many people don't stick around the sport that long, especially at the top. Like, you know, it's, it's hard to just stay in the UFC for as long as you've been around. But I mean, to actually stay at the top of the division, I know you don't sit around and pat yourself on the back and look at your Wikipedia page and say, well, look what I did. But I mean, it, that is an amazing accomplishment. Like when it's all said and done, like you got to take some pride in that considering all, I mean, we're talking about UFC history. No one has ever done that. And and I know what a, what a, uh, how much work you put in just to get back there and then to actually become champion again. Yeah, most definitely. I'm, that's actually one of my proudest accomplishments. Um, like you said, that number 2000, I think 812, um, you know, that is a very long time. And this sport is brutal. And there's always new, young, up and coming, hungry fighters like coming to, you know, take our place. And um, it's definitely been a lot of work to, to maintain this level and to, you know, like a lot of uh, it was just a lot of intention and just, you know, making sure that my body was taken care of and avoiding injuries and, you know, just working to constantly evolve because it's so easy to kind of get stuck in a, in a certain like way of training or fighting and to stop growing. So it's, I've definitely had to be very intentional over these, through my whole career, but especially these last eight years to build my way back up to this title. When you think about other sports, you know, there are, there are rare examples where you can see, you know, a player, you know, continue to create a legacy, you know, later in their career after starting out, you know, early in their career. I mean, you know, and we're talking about like all-time greats. We're talking about, you know, Tom Brady, LeBron James, like a few people in sports history who have had that kind of longevity where they're still winning championships, you know, you know, 10 years after they won their first one or whatever the case may be. I'm not asking you to put yourself in that same conversation, but do you take pride in that? Because when you look at all, and and to me, mixed martial arts, and that's no offense to basketball or football. Football is obviously very, very hard on your body as well. But MMA is so hard on your body and your mind, and, and, and there's no guarantee. This isn't like football where you just win a tournament and you get a title shot. You know, we, we talked many times when you, you know, after he had beat Yan Nan, like, we're like, why aren't you getting the title shot? Like, you should have been the guy. You should have gotten the title shot. So there's no guarantees in this sport. Like, th that longevity is, is incredible. And again, I know that you're not sitting there thinking about it all day and, until I ask you that question. But when you hear your name mentioned along other all-time greats that are able to do that, like, does that mean, does that mean as much to you maybe even as the championship, like just getting back there? Yeah, most definitely. Even to be able to fight for the title, um, I was already like so proud of myself um, just because it was just this huge step and, you know, just to, for Rose and I to be at the top of the division, like to kind of start the division and still be at the top of eight, eight years is, you know, it's pretty amazing to me. Like, I'm just like, wow, that is so cool. Um, but I, you know, you're right. I don't try and like usually like sit <laughs> and just dwell on, you know, accomplishments or anything because I still have things to accomplish. So you know, but it's definitely a great feeling and, you know, um, I, I hope I can, you know, continue, continue that. And, um, you know, and, and unlike uh, football and basketball and all these other sports, it's not a team sport, you know, 
um, to win a championship, it's, it's not like, Oh, we have a really great team. And you know, not that those other athletes aren't like that at the top and amazing, but it's just, it's just you in that cage. It's just you in that octagon. So when you win or you lose, that's all you. Absolutely. I'm curious. I was talking to Alan Joban the other day and he was talking about like advice he would have given himself earlier in his career and advice he offers young fighters in terms of like, do, you know, doing things in their career. I'm curious, Carla, like, I know there's no necessarily secret sauce. Like you're, you know, you have like one thing that you've done that's like allowed you to stay at this peak for such a long time. But if you were going to offer advice to a younger fighter coming up, you know, getting into UFC at, you know, 21, 22 years old, whatever the case may be, like what advice would you offer them if they want to have that? Like, I, again, I know it's not one secret thing you're doing, but what advice would you give them? Because we know that this career can chew you up and spit you out really quickly. I mean, I, I don't know the average timeline of a UFC career, but I, I know it's not that long. I mean, it's not, you know, for, you know, if you average everyone together, I got to imagine it's like six, seven, eight fights, maybe when you take all of it together. Um, what advice would you give a young fighter who wants to have that kind of career? Because it's not easy. And again, the list of MMA fighters who have done it is really, really short. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, you know, historically, we've seen a lot of these fighters kind of like have this really like explosive kind of rise to the top and then they just kind of fall out and because it is so hard to maintain and be at this sport for so long. So I guess I'd have to say the, the best advice I could give um, is probably like two things um, on the, on the physical aspect, it would be just, you know, taking that time to like really focus on your health, like, foam rolling, stretching, body care, like when you're injured, like rest, you know, like take the time because, you know, as much as like, it's not all about the injuries, like the training part is easy. That's the fun part. You know, the hard part I feel like is, you know, knowing when to pull back and be intelligent about like your resting and not getting burnt out mentally on this sport because it is very taxing and it demands a lot of you. So I guess it's just like really taking care of yourself and um, you know, not that you should be taking like six months off just for fun and going on vacation, but just, you know, just making sure that like you can do this a long time. And um, just by taking care of your body, being intelligent, choosing your training partners and, you know, just, just being smart about your body. But um, on the training aspect, on the learning side of things, I, I guess I would just say, go where, like go where it's hard. Like if, if you're really good at wrestling, like you should be focusing on other things, really try and like balance yourself out and keep improving. Never be afraid to be a student and like learn the basic, relearn the basics because, you know, as much as I've been doing this for so long, like there's even some basic things like that I'm still having to go over and it's like, Oh, keep your hands up. This is how you jab. You know, it's just, you can never stop learning and, and being that student and that beginner almost. Absolutely. I'm not sure if you saw, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, uh, Megumi Fuji did an interview and she talked about you and she said that, you know, you're an inspiration, you know, cause you fought her very early in your career. And she said, you know, seeing what you're doing with your career and seeing how you've been able to, you know, stay at the top for so long. She said, you're an inspiration to her and other fighters. I don't know if you saw that, but I thought that was pretty awesome. Cause when I was coming up covering the sport, like Megumi Fuji was, the fighter, like she was it, like she was, you know, what we, what we now talk about, like with Amanda Nunes now, like she was the fighter at that point. Uh, I just thought that was awesome. Like, she's like, I fought her so early in her career. Uh, and now to see that she's still going and she's still a champion. Like, she's like, that's just amazing to see. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really great to hear. I actually didn't hear, uh, hear that interview, but that's really cool because, you know, she was, when I was coming up too, I mean, she was the legend 
you know, she was, when I fought her, she was 20 and L and had like mostly all finishes submissions. So, you know, she's, she was just like at the time considered like the goat. So, you know, just to hear, and she actually fought for a very long too, time too, I think close to when she was 40. So she definitely had longevity, but the sports definitely evolved a lot over the years. Um, and it's cool to see that she's still kind of keeping track and she's definitely was fighting. Her was a pivotal moment in my career for sure. And that was like three or four fights in your career. That's how ridiculous that is. You were fighting one of the great, I mean, at that time she was probably the pound for pound best woman in the world. And you're fighting her like three, four fights in your career. That's crazy. Yeah, no, I, I definitely look back to it. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe that happened. <laughs> probably one of, you know, just in comparison, like it's almost like you said, finding the Amanda Nunes right now, but fighting her like three, four fights in, like it was definitely, um, you know, it was, it ended up being a great decision. Um, you know, this is my first time, like, you know, being like, uh, on TV and in Bellator and it was like a really short notice fight, which is why I got the opportunity. Cause initially I didn't even have enough fights for them to want me in the tournament. So, you know, I'm gl definitely glad I got to step in the cage with the legend for sure. Yeah. So now Carla, we spoke, you know, again, after your title fight win and, and, you know, I'm not going to rehash everything you said very honestly, you know, that wasn't the fight with Rose Namajunas she wanted, but at the end of the day, you got the win, you got the title. That's what you matter. Well, that's what matters most. Coming into this fight with Zhang Wei Li. Now, Zhang is a, you know, we know she's a pretty action packed fighter. You know, she's a, you know, kind of a very aggressive move forward kind of fighter. But do you, do, do you put any extra pressure on yourself, like to go out there and like kind of define your title with a, with a win like this or with a fight like this? Or do you just put everything in the past and say, this is just a, a different fight? Because I know, like leading into this, you're going to answer a million questions about the Rose fight. People are going to bring it up and say, you know, the Rose fight, the Rose fight. But we know Zhang is a different fighter, but it, I don't know. Like, do you put pressure on yourself for, for performances or is it ultimately just always about the win? Like, I don't care how I, how I get there. As long as I walk away with the W, that's all that matters. I mean, the win at the end of the day is the most important thing, but uh, of course I'm always working on, uh, so, you know, solidifying a win and, you know, kind of exciting the fans, obviously with the last performance, I, you know, there is more pressure to want to put on a really exciting fight. Um, so that that is the goal. And I have been working really hard to, you know, to put on a great performance. I haven't had an amazing training camp. I've worked really hard. So, you know, hopefully, hopefully all goes as planned. You know, you, you know, and you know this, Carla, because we've talked many times about this. For some reason, people love to doubt you. I'll never understand that considering all you've done in your career and the wins. And again, I go back and, you know, just list off the resume again. But people consistently, like now you're fighting Shang Willie and people are saying, oh, well, she can't deal with Shang's power and Shang's so strong and Shang is a favorite, all these kind of things. Like, do you ever smile or laugh or does it get irritating that like people continue to doubt you for some unknown reason, even though you have been what I mean, I, I think I listen, I, I know you're 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 probably not going to say this, but like. When we get done, you know, years from now, like we talk about the greatest straw weight of all time, like the conversation is going to be pretty short and you're going to be on that list, whether it's number one, number two, whatever it is. Um, but people love to doubt you for some reason. I don't know why I'll never understand it. Obviously, I don't. But I'm curious, like, how you react to that. Like, do you laugh? Do you take it as motivation? Like, how do you deal with that? Yeah, it is funny. Um, you know, before it kind of I, I would say early in my career, it would kind of bum me out. I'm like, hey, like, what, you know, like. <laughs> I'm a good fighter. Like I can, you know, but now it actually does kind of just make me smile and laugh. It almost makes me feel like I know that I kind of have like a little secret that, you know, people are just like, Hey, like, I think you're going to, this is going to happen or that's going to happen. And I'm just kind of like, 
okay. But deep down, like, I know, like I have my, like my secret, like, I'm like, you'll see, you'll see, but I don't need to talk about it. And I think that's been the style of my coach and my gym, you know, since I've been there, it's like, do your talking in the cage. Like, I don't need to tell you what I'm going to do. Like, I'm going to show you. Yeah. And when you look at Zhang, I mean, listen, I'm not going to, you know, I don't get into game plan and things like that, but we know that Zhang is a really good fighter. She wouldn't be here otherwise. Um, I think we both agreed when we speak the last, spoke the last time that, you know, in all honesty, you know, Marina Rodriguez probably deserved it more than her, but listen, you know, deserve, I say it all the time. If you want to stay sane in this sport, toss deserves out of your vocabulary because it'll just drive you insane. But when you, like, like, it's funny because a lot of people talk about Zhang like she's this unbeatable monster. Don't get me wrong. She's very, very good. It's not a knock on her but we have seen her lose we have seen her go out there you know the fights with rose a, a fighter of course you have a couple wins over like is it is it like i don't know like when you look at jang like do you i, I know you do but like you see holes in her game right like you see there 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 are different ways to beat her yeah most definitely um you know i have done my studying and i and i have seen you know holes and things that um i feel like i, I can take advantage of um, but you know, at the end of the day, like you said, at this level and being a former champ, like everyone's going to be really good. And I think it's, uh, because she's so dangerous and she comes out really strong, um, that she has had like these explosive, like first round finishes and stuff. So, you know, I'm definitely not, uh, looking past how dangerous she is and her knockout power and how strong she is, because I think that's obvious to see, but you know, I'm pretty strong myself or else I probably wouldn't be here at this point. So, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm, I go into every fight knowing that, you know, the possibilities, like this is a dangerous sport people it's, it's the hurt business, you know? <laughs> so I, I go into there and, you know, prepare as best as I can and, you know, let the cars follow where they may. Yeah. And you always, in my opinion, you always have the great equalizer, which is your wrestling, you know, no matter who you fought and we've seen Jane get taken down, you know, I mean, that's again, that's part of the sport, but, uh, you know, you always have that great equalizer, which again, I say it all the time. Wrestling is the absolute best base for mixed martial arts because you cannot duplicate that. You cannot replicate that. Uh, and it's not easy to do like you who've been wrestling, you know, almost your entire life wrestling at the college level, things like that. You always have that great equalizer. I think that's something that gets lost in there. It's like people forget how good of a wrestler you are and you know you can always turn to that and listen as good as Zhang may be and, and she is incredibly good she doesn't have that wrestling background she doesn't have that pedigree and that's something you can always turn to to just change the momentum of a fight yeah most definitely um I don't think in my career there's been anybody that I can recall or you know hardly anybody that I have not been able to take down even in my losses I feel like I've had you know some takedowns so you know, I feel confident in my wrestling. Um, I mean, you never know, but um, I don't think Whaley has ever fought anyone like me. I don't think she's fought this type of fight. And I think she's even said that in an interview. So we'll kind of see like how, how she reacts because I've never seen her go against someone like me. So I don't really know like how good she is there. But, you know, it's not easy fighting someone completely different than what you have seen before. Yeah. Do you, you know, we talk about like people wanting to doubt you and, and then, you know, going out. And once again, like I said, you're an underdog going in the fight, which again, I, I get it. You know, odds are what they are. I mean, again, the, a lot of that's just so they get people to put money on the fight and things like that. But when you get a win, when you go out there and you get a win over a fighter like Zhang Weili, like, do you feel like a little bit of pride in yourself? Once again, people have kind of doubted you and saying, oh, she's so strong. She's all this. And like, like you get to hold that title a little bit higher, right? Like when people are doubting you and saying, oh, you can't beat her. Really? You can't beat her. Okay. Well, let's see what happens. 
Yeah, most definitely. I mean, it's always a really great feeling to win, but, you know, just to silence all the doubters, you know, there's a little bit of extra satisfaction to that. And unfortunately, fortunately, it's something I've gotten to do a lot in my career. Um, but like you said, I, I, I'm a, I'm a betting underdog usually. And, um, you know, my friends and family have thanked me and fans because I've won them a lot of money in the past. So you know, it is what it is, Ben. I definitely don't mind being the underdog. Yeah. Let me ask. I know your focus is 110% on Zhang Weili, so I'm not looking past her in any way, shape, or form. But, you know, we've seen that, you know, the top of this division for the past, let's just say a couple of years, has been pretty, you know, has been pretty, you know, solid with just a few fighters near that race. Obviously, yourself, Zhang, Rose Nami Yunus. Uh, it was Joanna for a while. Of course, we know she's retired now. Uh, and there's a couple others, but we've just seen, like, it's not easy to get to this level. I mean, a fighter you fought, you know, Yan Xiao Nan, you know, she had a, a loss to you, and then she had kind of a bit of a controversial loss to Marina, and then she goes out there and beats Mackenzie. Mackenzie Dern is a fighter everyone thought was going to be, you know, the next big thing, and she may still be. She's still very young, but, you know, right now, like, she's had that loss, and then, you know, you look at other fighters, like, in your, like, because I know it's weird, Marina Rodriguez would actually be a rematch for you. You haven't went over her already, but, like, after, if everything goes well on November 12th and you get past Shangley, like, is there part it's like i'd like to see some new blood like not to say you wouldn't fight rose again or not to say you wouldn't fight somebody else you know a rematch but like is there a party it's like i'd like to see some new blood get up here because we have seen i won't say it's stagnant maybe that's the wrong word but we have seen like some of the like some of the top fighters aren't fighting other fighters we're just seeing them fight each other yeah most definitely um yeah i know what you mean it's just kind of like i know rose and joanna have fought twice rose and whaley have fought twice <laughs> wrote joanna and whaley have fought twice you know i mean definitely there's a lot of like these people at the top that are kind of like holding that spot that are like going back fighting each other multiple times yeah i, I think rose fought uh andros twice and me twice you know <laughs> so i mean I, she's just so good and she's kind of like just kept her spot at the top um I think new blood is inevitable. I mean, <laughs> fighters, I mean, you can only be here for so long, as you said, it's hard to kind of maintain this level. And there's always new younger fighters knocking at the door. For me personally, I can fight whoever, like that's never really mattered to me. I've only had one rematch in my career, so it's not really been like a big issue for me. I've actually kind of been called like the gatekeeper for the strawweight division for a few years because all the young up and comers would like fight me and I'd, you know, I'd, I kind of be like that person to either knock them off or let them in. <laughs> yeah. It's not easy though, right? Like it's not easy to get to that level. I mean, again, you just talk, I just talked about Yan Xiao Nan, like you beat her pretty dominantly and then she just beat, you know, kind of, again, one of the fighters, everyone said, Ooh, maybe she's going to be the next big thing. Well, she goes out there and beats her. Uh, you know, I think, I think Marina Rodriguez is probably the one name that hasn't been there. And I know she has a fight coming up and I know you said, you know, in all honesty, she probably was more deserving of a title shot. So it would be fun to see those matchups. I know Yan called out, uh, Rose and we haven't seen Rose fought you know fight since she fought you like it's fun to see those different matchups though right so maybe there's at least the possibility of seeing different fights yeah most definitely I mean like that's always the exciting part of the sport right you're like ooh, you know this is a competitive matchup I wonder who's gonna win this it's it's exciting constantly seeing like new people and new matchups and stuff and someone you know kind of just coming up through the ranks and you're just like well this person's interesting. Like, what do they have to show and how are they going to compete at this top level against these veterans? So it's always kind of fun to watch this old school, new school kind of matchups. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, it's like, I love to watch whoever fight and, and I'm, and I'm always 
throughout my career, like I've never turned down a fight. So, you know, whoever they put in front of me, I'm, I'm game. Well, that's another thing to talk about your career, Carla, is that, you know, you've never been that fighter to pick and choose opponents. I mean, when you look at your resume, you fought veterans, of course, but you also fought a lot of, you mentioned, you know, up and covers people trying to get into that top 10, trying to get in that top five. Uh, you've never turned that away. And we got to be honest, like we know there are people who aren't doing that. Like I've heard this argument so many times from the rankings when someone's ranked number nine and the number five fighter just will not fight them because they don't want to risk their position. They're like, I only want to fight up. I only want to fight up. You've never been now, you know, someone said, well, that may be a detriment, but you've never turned down those fights. You've never backed down from a challenge. You've never said, you know what? You're ranked nine. I don't want to fight you. Um, that's something else you got to be able to be proud of because let's be honest, Carla, there's a lot of people I'm not naming names, but there's a lot of people who do not and will not do that. Yeah, most definitely. I, I mean, I've definitely seen it a lot over the years myself. I mean, there's people that, you know, try and pick and choose and, you know, like move their career in a certain way. But, you know, once you get to a certain point, if you want to be the best, you got to kind of be able to test yourself and, and fight whoever, uh, you know, and just rise to that challenge. So for me, it's like, I, I've never felt like I had to say no, if anything. I mean, I've, I've won, I've lost, you know, not to say like I'm unbeatable, obviously, but, you know, it's, it's, we're in a sport of like challenging ourselves and wanting to be the best. And if you got to, if you want to be the best, you got to beat the best. Yeah, absolutely. Real quick before I get you out of it, we talked earlier about, you know, kind of starting this second run as tie as champion. And we talked after the title fight, and you mentioned like the last title reign was so weird because you go through that crazy ultimate fighter season dealing with, you know, just insanity of that. And then you go right into the title fight with Rose. And then literally three months later, you turn around and fight Joanna. And I know you said like, you want to have almost a bit of a do over this time because you didn't get that opportunity to like rest and actually, you know, recover from the Rose fight. You went right into the Joanna fight. Now you said like, you took some time off. You're able to keep your body healthy. Like, is there a little bit of like extra motivation going into the second title reign to, to kind of not, again, you're, you're not erasing the past necessarily, but to kind of reestablish yourself as champion and as the best in the division. Cause again, I'm not making excuses for you, but the last one was really weird. Like you've admitted that we've talked about that. Like it was just a really weird set of circumstances going from the reality show title fight. And then three months later, defending your title. Do you feel like this is a little bit of like a, a, a bit of a do over for you to like kind of reestablish yourself as champion here? Yeah, most definitely. Um, like I, like I've said in the past is definitely a big regret of mine, not, you know, being able to put my foot down and wait a little bit longer to fight and give myself a little bit more time that I knew that I needed. Um, but you know, I was able to do that for this fight and last fight. I, you know, that last title defense, I, I was definitely not physically there. I was not mentally there. I was very small walking around probably like 115 pounds. So you know, now I feel like I'm in a completely different place. Like mentally, I've had that time to kind of, you know, just refresh my mind, you know, get ready for this and prepare. And physically, I feel great. Like I'm stronger than I've ever been. So for me, um, you know, no matter what the outcome is, I can feel satisfied that. Sorry. I got you. That's all right. I, I can feel satisfied that I'm going into this fight you know, at my best and, you know, win or lose. If you know that that's you going in there, doing everything you could, you can feel satisfied with the outcome because you gave it everything you had. And that's how I'm going to feel like walking out of this fight. I'm going in there to win, you know, make no mistake about it, but no matter what, like, I know that I've given this camp everything I had. 
Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, I love that because, again, that was just a you – know, you, uh, thankfully, you didn't have to go through a reality show again this time. But, yeah, like actually giving yourself time to rest and relax and go on a honeymoon and do the things you did. Like you actually have some time before fights. And now, like, we are now going to see the best Carlos Barza. Yeah, most definitely. I'm, I'm really excited to go out there and put on a performance. And I hope I'm able to show everything that I've been working on. Now, uh, I know that, you know, you are a big fan after fights of, uh, you know, enjoying a couple of sweets. There's a reason why you are the cookie monster. Be honest. Is there certain, is there a certain level of excitement about being in New York? Because I've been to New York many times. I love New York and there is no shortage of good stuff to eat after a fight in New York. Oh my gosh. I am so excited. I've even like asked my husband, I'm like, can you pick up a couple of these things for me while you're there? And I'm waiting for you after. So like New York has amazing food and I'm really excited to hopefully celebrate with another victory cookie after the fight. I love it. I love it. Well, Carla, it's always a pleasure to catch up. Thank you as always for taking the time. I really do appreciate it. Have a great rest of your training camp, safe travels out to New York and best of luck in the title fight. And again, thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. Always great to talk to you. Thanks, Damon. Talk to you soon. Bye. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.